Kicking off a brand new series today that we're calling Life Hacks. Life Hacks. We're going to talk about some of the simple ways to answer some of life's most complicated issues. And uh, if you're a note taker, you can go to onehopechurch.com and download them or grab the worship guide. As Danny mentioned earlier, there's a place that you can take some notes with us. But I want to begin by defining a life hack for you. I'm going to put it on every screen. A life hack is a proverbial truth that simplifies complicated issues. It's a, this is a very simple definition, right? When you meet someone that says, hey, try this, and it's really easy to understand and really easy to do, it simplifies a complicated issue, and then you say, well, I can do that. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that your entire Bible is filled with life hacks. Because we believe that the Bible was written as, as, our, as our, you know, manual for life to teach us what to do and where to go. And probably if you said the whole of the Bible is dedicated to that, and you say, well, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of life hacks. That's 66 books. That's some Old Testament stories. That's some New Testament situations. And so to even simplify it, since a life hack is a proverbial truth, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs for almost the entire series because the book of Proverbs really epitomizes this idea of a life hack and just says, hey, do this, not that. Anybody love when someone says, just do this, not that. And so today we're going to jump into that with Proverbs chapter one. Listen to what it says. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose, the purpose of a life hack is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. So that's pretty important. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple. Have you ever felt simple before? Come on, simple is like the nice way of saying you're kind of dumb. You know, like, you got, like I've, I've been in some situations where I'm like, no, no, I don't know what they're talking about right now, but I'm going to smile like I do, right? He said, no, these Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. We've all been young. Right? We've all been, like, we got to make room for some of the young people who are learning discernment, right? That, that, that's the, the process of parenting is about teaching young people discernment and discipline. And then it says, uh, they're going to let the wise listen to these Proverbs, and come on, read it with me, every voice, and become even wiser. So, we're jumping into just practical things that we can say, oh, no, I'm going to do this rather than that. And I got to say, to kick off this series, we're going to jump into what I would say is the, the deep end of the pool, and I'm going to jump into the subject matter that many of us say we would love a solution to, but we don't always love to hear it on Sunday, all right? Today, life hack number one is how to recession-proof your life and your money. How to recession-proof your life and your money. Pastor, did you just say we're talking about money today? Yes, that's what I said. We're going to talk about money. And so some of y'all immediately, when I said money, you started sweating, right? <laughs> and for some of you who are maybe here for the first time, I just confirmed some of your worst fears that churches are all about money, you know. <laughs> it's not true. But I will tell you, money is really, really important because money tries to act like God. 
and I'm going to help you to understand that money is not God. Amen, everybody? And, and when you allow God to be God, it kind of directs your life differently. And, and so I don't want you to worry. There's going to be no special offerings. There's going to be no, no extra pressure. We're not going to sing in the arms of an angel at the end of the service. Uh, we're not going to do any of those things. Y'all laugh at that joke every time I talk about money. And so I just keep doing it because we get a little nervous. I will say to you that our church in this arena, I believe is exceptional. And you won't know that until maybe you go to the Next Steps class and you actually see that we have healthy oversight, we have healthy planning, we never create pressurized environments. Matter of fact, next Sunday, we close the books on 2022 and we make available to every one of you the second week of February, we make available two things. One is an impact report. What did we do together? How do we make a difference? How many people made decisions and for Christ and how, how do we serve in our community? That's readily available online at onehopechurch.com slash giving starting next Sunday. And, and then also we do what we call a full disclosure, a financial statement. This is a cash flow statement. And if you're a member of One Hope Church, all you do is request that and we will say, this is what we did with what we gave together. I am a member of One Hope Church just like you, and I get the privilege of leading and helping us to determine which way we go and to teach you biblical principles, but I want you to know, I want to know where my tithe goes too. How about you, right? I want to know how we're making a difference and so every year I take some time to teach you because so many people, when asked, would say, I would love to be generous if I could. I would love to, but... And as long as we follow the world's philosophy concerning money, we find ourselves in a place where we can't do the things that are actually in our heart to do. And so today, it's going to be a little teaching heavy because I want to help you to walk out and say, I can do that, right? A life hack says, do this and not that. And here's our key verse for part one, how to recession-proof your life, Proverbs chapter 13 and 11, wealth from get rich quick schemes come on say it with me quickly disappears don't raise your hand how many of y'all bought a lottery ticket this month right <laughs> i've got a friend who that every time we're together says i gotta stop and buy hey would you pray over my picks today <laughs> and like a good pastor i say sure i will pray and he says if i win you know it's going to be good for one hope church i said we will see but i will pray for you Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Come on, read it with me. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Here's the life hack. You're going to have to work hard to recession-proof your life and money. And that's like no, no one's like, oh, yes, that praise God, hard work. But listen, if you do hard work in the right environment, when things go wrong, all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm good. Because I've got an emergency fund. I'm good because I'm low in the debt levels in my life. Like, there's some things you can learn from Scripture that are very pointed, that are counter-cultural, that will help you to live differently. And so it's going to take some hard work to do this. And if you look at our nation, you don't need me to really tell you that we have gone the other direction. Our nation has all sorts of money issues. I, I didn't put this verse on screen, but our nation is kind of kind of putting forth this idea that, that debt is no big deal. But the Proverbs say it's not, it's extra notes. You're going to have to write on the side. Proverbs 22.7 says that the borrower is slave to the lender. 
You want to find the greatest environment of slavery in our nation right now? It's the borrower who's being put under pressure, who can't make decisions because they've become slave to the lender. And let it not be said of us, let us do the hard work to change this. Let's follow some life hacks and grow in this arena. Some years back, I read a book by James Patterson and Peter Kim called The Day America Told the Truth. And in the book, they asked this question, uh, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Can I give you some crazy stats real quick? It's kind of funny to me. 25% said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. (laughs) Did you hear about the lady recently who won the lottery? She called her boyfriend and said, pack your bags. And he said, for hot or cold weather, she said, I don't care. It doesn't matter as long as you're gone when I get home. (laughs) Right? 23% would become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. 3% said they'd put their children up for adoption. One lady said, you know, I'd do that for free, you know. I don't It's a very interesting study, and when you read it, it is amusing, but part of what is amusing is that there's some truth to the context, right? And, and you can also go to the other side where it's like, you know what, like, like it kind of hurts a little bit. It kind of makes you like, ah, oh, really? Like someone would consider that, and I think it's because our nation has acted like money is our God. I think this is one of the things that we, we say things like, if I had more money, everything would be okay. As, as if we're going to the situation saying either God's going to answer this or money's going to answer this. And can I just say to you that money is a terrible God. It's a terrible God. Like, it's just like living for how much you can get, it, it really destroys your life because money lies to us. Money promises three things that only you can get from God. Write them down with me. Here's the first thing money provides. Money provides, it it lies to us and says it provides security. Matter of fact, this is every banking commercial, why you should borrow money from them because you can be secure. And and just, just to be clear, I'm not against using debt in wise ways for short amount, short amount of time. I think living under that pressure does something to us that's unhealthy. Proverbs 11 and 28 says, trust in your money and down you go. (laughs) I think that's pretty funny. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. What what is it? What's the difference in the context of this verse? Well, the godly don't trust in their money. The godly trust in God. Right? Their their attention, their focus is on what God can actually do for them. The second thing that that money promises that is actually a lie is it promises that you have a better identity. Well, if I just had more money, I could buy that house, I could have that car, people would respect me more because of what I wear, because of how I take care of myself. And so we get into this mindset that if I had more, then I would be seen as someone who is important. Proverbs 22 and 1 says, choose, I want you to choose a good reputation over great riches, 
Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Wait, wait. Having an identity that's wrapped up in your character, that's wrapped up in a character that looks like Christ, the writer of Proverbs is saying that's better than having, quote, a big bank account. This is a very, very important part. So security, identity, and then here's the last, most prevalent one is money promises happiness. Well, people will say, well, money can't buy happiness, but money can buy things, and things make me happy. It's not true. It doesn't take any amount of time when you finally accumulate all the things you thought would make you happy, and then you're sitting with them, and you realize that they don't actually fulfill that area of your life. Proverbs, Proverbs says it this way in Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry, not Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 5. But if you're, if you're unfamiliar, Ecclesiastes is written by the same guy who wrote the book of Proverbs. It says, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that, that wealth brings true happiness. I don't know if you remember the, the, the movie The Grinch, Jim Carrey, the, the, the character who plays The Grinch so well, right? He just, he's just, he's incredible. Like his ability to bring humor. He's quoted as saying, I wish everyone could be rich and famous to realize it doesn't solve anything. That like climbing to this point where I finally have, and you fill in like at what point in your life you say, well, when I have this much, I will finally be happy. And then you get that much, and you're standing on top of that pile, and you're more unhappy than before you tried to get that pile. It's interesting that money promises these things, but real happiness, I really believe, comes from God. Romans chapter 4. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. I say it's better to be guilt-free than debt-free. Amen, everybody? It's better to find joy and identity and security in God because God is not fleeting. God doesn't run away. God is recession-proof. And if you don't think he is, just go take some time to read the Old Testament of your Bible. Like, he took care of a million and a half people in the wilderness by raining manna, right, and meat and water. Like, he says, you need something. I can provide it in places that others think that it cannot come. The Bible is filled with story after story after story after story of people who said, no, 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 I'm going to go ahead and trust God. And then God just multiplied and answered their need. Today, I just want to say that the life hack that I've brought to you sounds like, okay, well, that's the answer to everything. Just work hard. I get it. But this is the arena that we have a mindset because of our culture that it should come easily. And we even look at people who have more than us and think, oh, their daddy just gave them that. You know, I used to say when people say, well, he got that job because of his daddy. And I said, yeah, but he had to live with his daddy. Maybe that was his work. <laughs> Sometimes you never know what another person goes through to actually achieve what we define in many environments as success. But working, but working intentionally, working smarter, putting life and energy in the correct things has a greater return on investment than just going through the motions or doing what our culture has said is the best idea. 
And so today what I want to do is, instead of spending more time trying to motivate you towards this, I want to I jump into teaching you four practical things. And I want to take a little bit more time to unpack the four things because I want to help you actually to recession-proof your life. I, I want you to, to not fear another pandemic. I want you to, to not fear a downturn in our American economy because you will... You have disciplined yourself on the front side to live according to God's word, and so then you can expect God's word to be the answer in the times that it goes south. Now, I, I do want to say that we're going to go right in. We're going to be very, very practical, and I'm going to spell some things out that some of you may say, well, got it, got it, and I say, well, that, well let me refer you to the Proverbs 1, which said, let the wise become wiser, right? And so if you've got some of these things, praise God, just sharpen the pencil a little bit more, right? Hone in a little bit more. Every January, we go through an exercise in our home, and, it, and the exercise is just simply like, find $100 of waste, and you say, just $100? Yep, we're going to find $100 that we waste a month. Some of y'all waste that a week. But we just, by starting the exercise, all of a sudden you're like, well, we don't need that. We don't need this. Uh, if you just wrote down how many subscriptions you have, you'd be amazing how many things that you forgot that you're paying for. So anybody here ready to do a little bit of hard work? Yeah, four of you, praise God. Here we go. You're here. We're going to do it, Okay. Here's the first thing I would say to you, and this is probably the most challenging initially. Number one, I want you to stop expecting something for nothing. I'm speaking right to what is happening in our younger generation. We turn 18 and we think we should be able to have a job that pays as well as our parents who've worked for 30 years, have a home that they've worked for for 30 years. We just think that money just going to grow on the trees. And listen, you're expecting something for nothing. And in order to have some of those things, you're going to have to put in the hard work. You're going to have to pay your dues on a job. You're going to have to, you know, what's your dues? Showing up on time, staying a little bit longer than everybody else. You're, you're going to have to stop expecting that the things that you really want in your life are just going to show up in the mailbox or grow on a money tree. If there was a money tree, I would be in the money tree business. How about you? Proverbs 10 and 4, lazy hands make for, somebody say it with me, like make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth, right? It's a very simple thing. It's, it's the very premise of today's life hack, and I just want you to leave here knowing that if you want something for nothing, then you're going to end up with nothing. That it's going to require you changing your mindset. Recently, I looked at a study that defines five levels of hard work. Not going to be on screen. This is just extra notes. And it says five levels of hard work. The first level, the bottom level is what we would call poor work. The second level is what we would call average work. Anything below average, you're drowning in your work. You're drowning in your job and you're likely heading towards getting fired. People who have a poor reputation at work don't usually keep their jobs. There's poor, there's average, there's good, there is exceptional, and then there is elite. I would love to think that I could live in the elite zone. How about you? Anybody like when you look in the mirror, you're like elite right there. You're looking at an elite. Listen, I, I am not an elite athlete. I can tell you that much. I can operate 
a lot of times in the good and exceptional and occasional elite. I just want to give you some perspective about your work so that, that you actually have an understanding. It's going to take, it takes a lot of hard work to stay in the elite ratio of any job, to be in that upper echelon of any environment. But if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to go from poor, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to go above average. Come on, somebody, right? And then I'm going to get good at what I have been called to do. And then at some point, they're going to say, man, you're exceptional. And then occasionally, they're going to be like, whew, elite. I look at some of our some of our wide receivers in the NFL, occasionally they do some things, man, come on, that one hand catch, the ball is like out of bounds and somehow they reach out and just touch. I don't know how, that's elite. Can I get an amen, right? How many of y'all say that our, our poor saints this year didn't get into the exceptional zone? That's too much. I shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. Everybody say number two. <laughs> number two, I'm going to meddle a little bit here. Number two, we need to start being faithful with the first. So just for context, and I, and I try to say this because people really don't understand how church is designed. A lot of people think that a church is like a business and the guy on the stage is the owner. Uh, can I just say to you guys that the church is owned by the church? So... So we're called to lead. We're, we're, Amber and I are founding pastors. Like we felt God called us to do this, but we own nothing. There's no stock. There's no dividends. When we pass on, the next generation will carry the baton. Y'all hearing this? So I say all that to say to you that we are tithing members to One Hope Church. Faithfully give and honor God with what he's given us. Matter of fact, when we first started this, we went far above our tithe. You want to know, we, we risked, we cashed out to launch One Hope in 2014 and said, if we're going to ask other people to invest their time, talent, and treasure, we're going to lead the way. So today, this is one tither to another. Can I say it to you that way? Listen to what Proverbs says about honoring God. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, then, everybody say then. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Everybody wants the overflowing bank account. Proverbs says it starts with honoring God with the first. The first fruits begin in the book of Genesis, by the way. And as it progresses, the first fruits begin to be described as tithing in your Bible. Tithing is an Old Testament and a New Testament principle. If someone ever told you that tithing was just an Old Testament principle, uh, they're in error. That is not scriptural. Jesus himself said you should tithe. So tithing is honoring God with the first 10% of what God has given you. And if we're going to drill down deep into it, tithing is giving the church where you worship your first. You're honoring God. Culturally today, most Christians are giving 2% of their giving to the church. And they're finding other places to give if they give more than that. 
And so they're giving around their church because they can't trust their church. Today, I want to say to you is if you would like to learn why you can trust One Hope, go to the Next Steps class and see how we're organized. And when you see what we do with what we give together, you're going to be stirred to say we can trust God here. But I would just say to you, if you feel like you can't, find a place you trust and invest there. Uh, Listen, I believe in the principle so much. Find a place you trust and invest there. I knew when I got to this one, there's always that tendency of like, oh, this is this pressure. No, no. I'm teaching you how to recession-proof your life. Because if you're going to give God the last, but you're going to pray to God to answer your problems, how can you expect that God's going to answer that prayer when you haven't done what he's asked you to do. It's not an amen moment, I know. It's an oh me, wish you wouldn't have said that today. One hope, not only do we practice this in our leadership, but the very first check, before we launched One Hope in 2014, at that point we had raised $531,000. And that, to God be the glory, isn't that pretty awesome? And we bought all the equipment that was in that gymnatorium and the lights, the sound, and the kids' stuff, and the parking signs, the trailer to tow all the stuff back and forth. But do you know before we had a single service, we gave away $54,000 into the community to take care of people, to serve people. Why? Because not only do we as individuals practice giving God the first, we as a church have written it into our bylaws that 10% that is given, we, we invest it into things that One Hope does not own. Y'all getting this today, right? And so before we ever had a single service, somebody's like, well, you're giving away money before you know if you're going to be able to survive? Yes. That's what tithing is. Tithing is saying, I'm not going to wait to the end to see if I have enough. Tithing says, I'm going to give God what God has asked me to do because now I can stand on the other side and say, God, you said. And so it starts with the discipline of giving God the first. As a follower of Christ, I think this is an important thing to do. Deuteronomy 14 and 23 just lays it out very clearly. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. It's teaching you the principle of making sure he is first in every area of your life. So number one, we have to stop expecting something for nothing. It's, it's kind of permeating our culture and our young people. We think that I just deserve and, and I'm going to become a TikTok star tomorrow, you know, like a, a Instagram famous and I'm going to make a living. Listen, listen, it's going to require hard work, okay? Secondly, start being faithful with the first. Give God, just decide to do it, honor him. Number three, we're going to steward now the rest well. So we're going to say, okay, God, you've got the first. Now, what do I do with the other 90%? Well, this is where stewardship and budgeting is really, really important for your life. And so when we're teaching this in a financial small group, and by the way, when we help someone with benevolence, so someone walks up to the door and says, hey, I've lost my job, or I can't buy groceries, or I'm in a situation, the first time we as a church, you know what we do? We help them immediately. On your behalf, we, we actually, we make sure that they get food, they make sure they get clothes, but then we say to them, if you would like help a second time, you have to come to a financial small group where we're going to teach you how to steward well. Why? Because you and I are stewards of what God has given us, and so if someone else is in need, we're going to help them while they're in need. We're going to feed those who are hungry, but then out of good stewardship, we're going to say, listen, if you want more help, then you're going to bring all of your bills, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to start stewarding, and if they do that, we'll help them again. 
right? If we'll see them make, listen, we've walked with many people for really long periods of time who were growing and moving forward. But what is amazing to me is the 99% that never come back the second time. Stewardship is important. It's all throughout your Bible. It says if you'll be faithful with a little, <laughs> I'll give you more. So what we do with every person is we start with saying it like this. Begin with 10, 10, 80. Say those words with me. 10, 10, 80. So you, you, you gather what you bring in, small or great, no matter what it is. And we say we're going we're gonna to put it on the screen for you. 10% tithing to your place of worship. 10% saving. So you're going to give to God and yourself first. Y'all hearing that, right? Give to God and yourself. Save for your future. And then 80% is how, what you should live on. This is a beginning place. This is for those who are new to stewardship or budgeting. You begin here, 10, 10, 80. If you want to break down the 80, you want to make sure that your hard costs are at least no more than 50% of your income. Hard costs would be a car note that you have no choice, you got to pay. A hard co cost would be your rent or your mortgage or anything like that. These are things that at the end of the month, no matter what happens, you've got to pay. And so you want to make sure that you have those hard costs lower. Now, I know when you go to the bank, they will say, we will lend you a whole lot more than that. Because they're hoping, the credit card companies and the banks are actually hoping in many cases that you don't, that you aren't able to keep up with that low interest rate so that they can hit you with the high one. And so what I wanna say, very practically, stewarding well starts but having a percentage goal and actually then giving every dollar a name. For more years than I can count, Amber and I on the first of every month, it's not her favorite thing to do, but every, on the first of every month, that's not a negative, I'm just saying like, like in our home, I'm, I like, I'm, the, I'm the money manager, does that make sense? And so on the first, we write a budget, we know what the budget is, we agree on the budget, and we leave a little wiggle room in the budget. Anybody like wiggle room? Some of my friends call it fun money, right? We just have this money and I just, I hold on, one guy calls it his mad money. I said, why do you call it mad money? He's like, because it just sounds exciting, you know? <laughs> Start with 10, 10, 80, and as you grow in stewardship, you're able to increase your giving, your saving, and the percentage of your living keeps going down, right? And then you have money that is available to do things that are fun. You have money to do things that maybe when God would speak to you to help someone else, you actually then have the margin. Margin is the distance between you and your limits. And if you have no margin, then you can't even pray to help somebody else. And so we've got to learn how to start stewarding well, being practical about these things. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And so if you're going to spend all that you have, the Bible says that's foolish. You shouldn't do that. You should always have a little bit of margin in your life. Proverbs 13 and 22 says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. There's a point in all of our lives that when you trust God with finances that God's going to begin to answer and, and provide for you in supernatural ways. Anybody here want to leave an inheritance for your kids' kids? Come on, like, like uh, that's, a, that's a goal. I want to be able to pass generational wealth. But more than I want to just pass generational wealth, I want to pass generational stewardship. 
generational principles that teach them because here's the statistics. If someone makes a lot of money and gives it to their kids, the, the next generation rarely gets it because the one that didn't have to steward or work for it doesn't manage it well, so they end up giving nothing to the grandkids. Isn't that crazy? So listen, wealth can be gained in a generation and lost in a generation based upon how you steward it. How do you recession-proof your life? Well, stop expecting something for nothing. Start giving God the first. Listen, believe that what the Bible says about salvation and money is true. Number three, steward the rest well, right? Like give every dollar a name before you spend it. Don't go at the end of the month and say, where, where did that go? You know, like, and you realize it went to snowballs, okay? <laughs> number, number four, let me, let me, before I give you number four, let me say this to you on stewardship. One of the best examples of stewardship is Joseph in the Bible. And Joseph, through the wisdom of God, right, through the wisdom of God was told that there'd be seven years of plenty that would precede seven years of famine. Famine is hard recession. And because of his wise stewardship in the front side, they actually grew and became wealthier during the famine because of how they had planned on the front side. Stewardship is so important. Here's number four and we close. Number four, we're going to have to step out in faith. Because when I was 27, the only thing my, my parents really taught us, and I shouldn't, shouldn't say this wasn't a negative, I, I come from a very impoverished family background. And so what my dad did to kind of grow out of that was, hey, we're not, we're going to borrow as little as possible and we're always going to pay and have integrity, right? We're going we're, we're, we're to pay and have integrity. But about investing, about stewarding, about expanding, we just didn't have those things. About how to live a debt-free life. And so 27, I got college debt, I got car debt, I got stupid debt. Anybody know what that is, right? Come on, stupid debt is you wanted that, but you know you didn't have the money, right? And, and so I, we just stacked up, and Amber and I were married and trying to figure out how to do this, and I was introduced to Dave Ramsey. And we began to follow his seven baby steps to get out. You just Google it if you want it. I'm not going to teach it today. And at 27 years old, we went on a five-year plan to pay off all of our debt. And by the grace of God, we ended up doing it in two and a half to three years because God's principles work, right? And so there's going to be this initial point where you're going to say, the numbers don't add up. I get it. They don't until you start honoring God and watching God multiply things. You're going to have to step out in faith because giving is at the heart of our faith. And when we give, we're declaring that we trust God in all things. And when we hoard and we say no to God, we're saying, no, no, money is making the decisions. Listen to what Corinthians says. The Apostle Paul says, you must each decide in your heart now what, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, which is why we as a church never, ever create pressure. For God loves a person who gives, come on, say it, who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources 
and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He said, there's going to be a point where I'm going to supply you with so much that you're going to have more than you need to make a difference. So as we prepare to close, on the first Sunday of every month, we make three faith declarations. They're going to put them on screen real quick. The first one, we tithe, give, and serve to honor God. Why do we do that? Why? Because if I'm going to, I'm going to withhold the first, how can I expect God to answer and supply my needs if I'm going to do the opposite of what he says? Secondly, we steward well to impact the world. And the third thing we say every first Sunday of the month, we trust God to provide more than we need. And so in just a moment as we close, Danny's going to come back and he's going to ask you to stand and we're going to make declarations. Why? Why? Because we're going to recession-proof our life and our church. Amen, everybody? We're going we're gonna to make decisions to do the hard work. Listen, buying lotto tickets, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, all right? I don't, but I'll tell you this much. If you're counting on that, it's always going to be something you're thinking Maybe will, but if you'll count on hard work and stewardship, God will answer you. Amen, everybody? Listen, I know it's a very practical message. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close today? Today, if you're here and at any point in the service, you felt this presence of God that really was drawing you, today I want to help you to connect in a meaningful way with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you just feel far from God, The Bible says you're one prayer away from all of that changing. I won't embarrass you or ask you to stand or come to the front, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, that's you. Would you whisper this prayer? Say these words. Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life my own way? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.